This is Restless. Welcome back. This is Restless. I am your host, Matt, joined by Pastor Michael. We are a post-mortem on the young, restless, and reformed. And for one more time, we are going to be covering an episode of the rise and fall of Mars Hill here on our podcast feed. After the rise and fall of Mars Hill part two starts now, Pastor Michael, are you ready? Let's finish it up, man. I mean, it's been a long time coming. It has been nice to have the extra people tuning in to listen. (laughs) And I know that there's going to be some people that once we're done with this, probably won't listen to our podcast ever again, but hopefully farewell. Yes. Hey, it's been great having you guys here. If you want to stick around, we do a lot more than talk about this. It's just uh, something that we've been enjoying lately. For example, you might want to stick around because at the end of this year, when your favorite podcast takes a break, we will be doing the 12 days of restless and going daily and so that will be a good time i'm your host matt i've been reliably informed that i sound exactly like chris pratt um so you can uh allow that to help you enjoy this podcast you definitely do sound a little bit like chris Pratt. i wouldn't say exactly but even just in what you said there's a little bit of just the intonation of your words that sound similar to Chris Pratt. So way well, to go on that. Hey, let me know who I sound like. <laughs> that's right. Let's let's find his audio, uh, his audio celebrity lookalike. I hope uh, it doesn't hurt my feelings. But <laughs> you know, and if the listener is wondering which uh version of Chris Pratt I look the most like, if you're an audio listener, which everyone is, uh, it's the Lego guy. So just to get that out of the way. We are he covering... is wearing yellow right now. He's wearing it a yellow true. shirt. <laughs> it is true. So we are in our second part of covering the final episode, normal episode, because, of course, they did bonuses of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. We will be covering all of those bonus episodes because we do have people who want us to do that for our patrons. And so we're not quite done with this, but we are about to be done with the major part of the show. Last week, if you haven't listened to it, you might want to click stop right here and come back in a second. Now that you're back or have already listened to last week's episode, you know we covered the events that were surrounding the aftermath of Mars Hill. Not exhaustively, but we highlighted kind of the things the show kind of premieres. This week, we are going to go back to the clips and we are going to cover the themes, the messages, the things Christianity Today wants us to take away and who they're trying to talk to. And so this is where we'll start. We'll start with me reading what I think is kind of the thesis of the final episode of the rise and fall of Mars Hill and is meant to actually communicate. I think a lot of what they want to say with the whole series itself. So here's the thesis, pastor Michael, you let me know what you think. Life after Mars Hill is hard for many, even until today, there is no easy way to determine if the good or the bad outweighs the other. This is a reason to analyze the methods and message of Driscoll but hold on to hope that God has good for people in spite of abusive church culture. What do you think about that thesis for kind of where they're trying to leave the show? I think it's fitting. Um, We talked last week about how I do think that they kind of was that back and forward, which you capture there between not really knowing, um, you know, should we leave it on? Hey, here's how God's being gracious and working through it versus Hey, here's the really hard trauma of it. And I think you hit the, you know, the element of who this is really 
trying to talk to? Who are they trying to reach? Yeah. What are they trying to do? And um, I think that I think you captured that. I think that the, their audience is the quote unquote deconstructing Christian. Yep. That word is used so much in this episode. Yeah. So we are going to play some clips about kind of the critiques, the thoughts they have about the episode. And we have a lot of them. So we're going to dive right in and we'll see how many of these we get through. And it is everything else might be rot, but the person of Christ is still extremely compelling to me. I think there are two things we need to do. We need to understand the experience. So the reason we're about to play this clip, I just want to, I realize I should give a little promo in. This is Paul David Tripp. And this is dealing with this audience who it's talking about. Paul David Tripp is about to give us advice about what do we do about the deconstructing Christians around us? How do we handle that situation, right? The counseling mastermind of the Gospel Coalition is coming down and he is going to give us some thoughts on this. So, Pastor Michael, you let us know what you think as Paul David Tripp speaks. Of deconstructors. This is Paul David Tripp. Paul was on the board from late 2013 until the end of July 2014 and worked during that time to try and bring about reconciliation and restoration inside Mars Hill. I'll just say that I gave Paul David Tripp a bit more of a colorful introduction than Mike Cosper did. So um, Christianity Today, if you're looking for like more of a like color morning talk kind of show to add to your very serious and somber lineup, I'm here. I'm here for you. We should understand the trauma of these experiences. But I want to say something else. We should all be deconstructing our faith. We better do it. Because our faith becomes a culture, a culture so webbed into the purity of truth, it's hard to separate the two. And we better do some deconstructing, or we're going to find ourselves again and again in these sad places. For me, I've accepted the fact that I'm going to be a sad man for the rest of my life because I get calls. Sorry. Um... I'm, I'm laughing to something unrelated. Pastor Michael, so, so far we have, we have to understand the trauma of these experiences. And we have to all be deconstructing and that he's going to be a sad, sad man um, for the rest of his life. Um, what do you think so far about, about Tripp's advice? There's still a minute more of it, by the way. Yes. We'll... Uh, so I mean, on the one hand, right. <laughs> Definitely. Um, it's helpful to try to understand where somebody's coming from and try to understand as much as is possible. Um, they that was about 10 seconds of the clip. Try and understand. Try yeah. and understand. Try to experience. understand. That's good. Um, yep. when, when I hear him talk about, uh, we should all be deconstructing our faith. Number mm -hmm. one, what he means is not, we should be deconstructing our faith. I hope because you are saved by faith. You better yep. not be de deconstructing that. What he means is we should be we should be questioning mm. uh, how, what kinds of institutions and systems we build around the faith. And we should be testing those things to the word of God. And as far as if that's what he means, which I said, <laughs> what I think he does mean. Uh, yeah, that's true. But the very fact that he feels that he has to call it, hey, we all need to be deconstructing our faith. That is like, that's such a, like an evangelical thing, right? Like that's such a, a way to cheapen what he just said, which is, hey, we need to try to understand people and what they're mm. going through. 
Right. And also, we're all going through it. Yeah. We're all feeling the same thing. <laughs> what? A, like you're just cheapening the reality of those who have actually like faced horrible things, and so that's causing them to question and doubt. Um, it also cheapens just the very like again the very idea of of deconstruction. And by the way, I think there is some. Uh, like a lot of the whole deconstruction movement, I think is just, it's just evangelicalism taken to its logical next step, right? It's just a self-centered theology taken to the step where you say, hey, I don't have to believe in a God who's all about me. I can just be the God who's all about me. And so sure. I think there's a lot of deconstructing ex-evangelical stuff that's just like that. Um, but there's also a lot else. And, and so to to try to like water it all down into this. Yeah. We all have something to learn here. Just, I don't know. It just rubs me the wrong way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's uh, yeah. I think your description of what is potentially needed is, is good. It's a lot less snappy to people than yeah, we should it's all true. be. Deconstruct. It's not snappy at all. Also, you don't get to claim that man, look at the burden I bear. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm deconstructing. I'm a sad I'm, oh, man. I'm a sad man. Though. <laughs> My whole life, I'm going to be sad. Yeah, man. Like life is hard. We all yep. feel that, right? Like every, oh, there's not a single person on the planet that can't find something about their life. That's hard and difficult. And, you know, uh, just, uh, the, the nature of being in a sinful fallen world. Uh, but to just belabor that point, it's just weird to me. It's just weird. <laughs> And that's why you come to the restless podcast because life is hard and then you laugh and then you, and then you die and it's okay. So <laughs> let's, let's hear the second, let's hear the second minute of this advice. All the time, the saddest things that are happening in the church. And I, you know, I celebrate the church of Jesus Christ. I celebrate the places where it's a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. I love the gospel. I have no other wisdom than that. But I'm sad for the church. And I'm sad we've become so loyal to this culture. We're afraid to deconstruct in places where it's, it's lost its way. It's harmful. It's producing things that allow the world to mock and cause young people to walk away and leaders not to be rescued from themselves and ministries explode. And, and so there is a devastating humility that comes when you're really willing to deconstruct something you've given your life to. I mean that in the positive sense. Now, I'm not talking about apostasy here, but willing to step back and say, where do we just need to take this apart, abandon our loyalty, Stand with courage and say, this is not good enough. There's a question. This is not good enough. By the way, Paul David Tripp, love to have you on the show. We would title the episode Celebrating the Church, and we would only tell happy, fun stories about the church with you. That would <laughs> we, be, just uh, wanna, we just want to cheer you up, man. We do. We, <laughs> we do, just want to make you feel good about really, things. We believe you celebrate the church, just not in this like one-minute clip. Um, <laughs> and that's... And that's fine. That's not what you were asked to talk about. But we'd love to do an episode called Celebrating the Church, where we uh, where we did celebrate. Um, so what do you think about this devastating humility? Well, just to back up when he starts uh, oh, in that part of the clip, you know, he says we need to be willing to, you know, look hard at these structures and things like that. And my question is just who's we? 
Sure. Right. Because even again, all along, there were people, not us, right? <laughs> it wasn't even nope. me. Nope. But there were people out there. Uh, John people MacArthur. that are respectful and uh, have res- re- very like, you know, uh, respectable churches and uh, have just been kind of simple ministers of the gospel. And they called a lot of these things into question. They tried to deconstruct these things, right? Like they they tried. And um, a lot of these people that are now like, why don't we look back and reflect? Um, they're not the ones that are. Like they're not saying, "Hey, I'm sorry, I didn't listen. You, you guys were always right." Um, now they're like, "Maybe it was actually those guys the, that were the problem the whole time because they're complementarian or they're, you know, Calvinists or whatever." Um, it just seems like that the people who are most to blame for these sorts of things that need to hear the word of, yeah, like your whole system needs to come down. That whole mega church evangelical thing. Right. That is like, get rid of it, you know, like be done with it. That whole multi-site thing. Right. There's, there's nothing of it in the scriptures. If you Um, build a coalition, coalition, if you build a coalition and a culture around the gospel, that maybe doesn't mean everything you say all the time is equatable with the gospel. Yeah. there. So there are plenty of people that need to like, listen to these words. Um, it just doesn't seem to be the kinds of people that they're directing it toward. Oh, Does it's that make directed sense? towards you. Oh, it's it, this is directed towards you, Pastor Michael. That is the, <laughs> the rest of this episode. Even if Paul trips, uh, Paul Tripp himself didn't mean that the the rest of this episode couldn't make it more clear who oh. who who needs to yes. deconstruct who what needs to be deconstructed along the way. Oh man, yeah, and this. Uh, yeah, just the what what was it devastating I mean, humility or the devastating humility? Yeah, devastating humility, which I actually think can be uh, a helpful way to look at it. It is hard when Christ says, "In order to come after me, you have to take up your cross to follow me, and you have to lose yourself." Right? Like there's that that call of of following Christ is in a sense a kind of devastating humility in that it devastates a part of you it devastates right. um some part of you uh and so it you know i don't i don't hate the phrase but it is you know i don't know we it's pretty we're probably snappy. having too much fun with how sad paul David trip is <laughs> dude it's oh it's okay it's okay anon it's okay man you can i just want to give you the the wojack hug and, and tell you we're gonna okay. make it we're gonna make we're it. we're gonna make it everyone so that one of the things they want to question is what was the good news Mark Driscoll was preaching? Was the gospel centered thing really all that gospel centered, which now if anyone's listened to our show, they, they know we've had questions for what it means to be gospel. centered. We've done episodes. We've done the episodes people. Yeah. So let's, let's, let's see if, if we and, and Mike Cosper are, are deconstructing the same way when it comes to being gospel centered live in their mom's basement, going off about the culture of objectification, making fun of liberals and progressives in Seattle, and on and on it goes. But beneath the punchline of any of these jokes is usually an imperative of some sort. Something along the lines of man up, grow up, pull it together, give, serve. I'm not saying Mark never preached the forgiveness of sins. He certainly did. And there's no doubt that people came to authentic faith in Jesus at Mars Hill. 
But there are different ways of experiencing forgiveness and different ways of talking about it. There's a forgiveness that says, I'm not going to hold a grudge against you about that thing you did. And there's a deeper forgiveness that says, I'm not going to hold the fact that you're a sinner against you. I'm adopting you as my child and you're loved unconditionally. I don't think you can argue about the fact that Mark preached about how God forgave sinners, but I do think we can look at the life he invited his followers into and see it shaped by something other than God's unconditional love and mercy. What happens? So, Pastor Michael, we have the first critique of the way Mark Driscoll was gospel-centered. What do you think about this critique of it? We'll play one more kind of related clip, but what do you think about this? This is something that we've talked a lot about, again, um, that within the whole of the gospel-centered type movement, um, under that label, so often what has been preached is because because if you say like the gospel is everything, right? Everything right. in the scripture is the gospel. Then when like your systematic theology is limited to that, all of a sudden everything can be called the gospel. And so you start talking about, you know, gospel parenting and gospel, you know, work ethic and gospel, whatever. And maybe you mean something right by that. But what happens is you start to preach a kind of legalism mm. that uh, like at least when the way people receive it, right? You might not mean to do that. You might be saying this as, hey, look at this fruit of the gospel and how you work. But what you end up doing, I think, is putting burdens on people's back as if to say, hey, this like, you know, you got to shape up. You got to be this certain way. Um, and that's what it means to uh, to hear the gospel. Um, and Driscoll definitely did that. I mean, right. you know, they, they, they play clips of it. Um, and I think he, he definitely did that. However, this doesn't get you out of the woods totally because the new Testament is full of commands, right? The new Testament is full of put on, put off, love, submit. Uh, like it's just, it's full of actual commands. And there's many times actually during this episode, by the way, that people either Mike Cosper himself and his editorializing or people that he's interviewing will say stuff like, well, I really needed to learn how to, you know, um, not, not listen basically to these things that Driscoll was saying. And many of the things that they talk about are things that are actually just from the scripture, right? Like they are actually just commands from the Lord that you're claiming to follow. And so, um, this is where you get into the, I don't know, what what I think becomes a, a difficult point where they want to emphasize grace. But I think what they're actually looking for is a kind of antinomianism, um, a kind of, of grace that allows you to do and say and be what you want. Right. And in part, that makes sense, right? If your audience is people who have rejected the church and have rejected um, following Christ in the way that he has instituted, right, through the institution of the church. And maybe you have reasons for that, right? I'm not I'm not discounting, hey, you've been burned, you have actually experienced abuse, uh, whatever. Um, it, like, yes, whatever it may be, there, there are some issues there. Um, but that doesn't remove the call of scripture. That doesn't remove the command of God 
um, that you don't get to just now do whatever you want. But I do think that because the audience is those people, Mike Cosper's trying as hard as he can to say, hey, there's a grace that lets you still be a part of this thing. You can still be in Christ, but you don't really have to do anything, right? right? You don't have to be anything different. Um, you don't have to to change yourself, which again, it's almost right. <laughs> yeah, you, It's almost true. Yeah. You know, that is true of grace, um, but you can't stay that way. You, you, yeah, I think you're, you're getting at it. So one, I think our critique of gospel centered, the gospel centered, everything is that it flattens what God has said into one word. I'm looking at a book on my shelf that as you were talking, kind of, it's called God's two words. And it's uh, it's essays in how to distinguish between the law and the gospel. Mm-hmm. Right. But even that is like God said two kinds of things. And we could say God said many kinds of things. And yep. that's fine. But what this distinction says is that means not everything he said was the gospel. And we have to not act like it. What I've realized is people who want to say everything's gospel centered. What they mean is when Jesus rose from the dead. Everything in the world required a certain degree of reordering around a resurrected man. Hmm. And that's true. Yep. yep. The, 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 the concern that I had as I heard this critique of it, I obviously agree with your, what you're saying as far as it goes. But when he starts saying, and I think this is what you were getting at at the end where he says, there's a kind of forgiveness that says, I will not hold this against you. And there's another kind, like a deeper forgiveness where I will not hold against you that you're a sinner. Hmm. And again, it's not that that, again, it's maybe it's almost right. But I'm wondering, why are we distinguishing between these like forgivenesses that I'll forgive all the wrong things you've done, but or I'll just radically accept you as a sinner, right? Hmm. I start to get like, I start to get the feeling of like what you were saying, like that is where I feel like this is meant to go. Yeah, it doesn't. I, hey, it doesn't matter where you ended up. Did you end up in that like church that is denied core tenets of the faith? Hey, that's all right. Right. Like that's how it feels. That's yes. how it it feels like it's moving. And um, that is not an OK deconstruction. Right. That is apostasy. That's like to to put that, you know, next to what Paul David Tripp is talking about. Well, those aren't the same thing. Right. Right. And so let's play one more clip about the the issues they had with Driscoll's preaching related to law and gospel and and how personal life examples functioned. This very sort of get better to try harder to pull them, pull themselves together. Eventually, what you'll have is what you have in every other element of the culture, which is burnout. You'll have people who uh, wake up one day and be like, hey, this isn't actually working. So I want to come back to this question I asked a few moments ago. What was the good news at Mars Hill? Was it a story about the mercy of God for the people of God who came like beggars and were never turned away? Or was the story being told about a certain way of life that leads to happiness and prosperity? That if you follow this path, a path defined by Mark, defined by gender, of course, that you'll have a happy marriage, obedient children, and a successful career. That as a member of Mars Hill, you were part of a chosen elite, standing in contrast to the city of Seattle. Not only that, standing in contrast to other churches with a weak Jesus or boring pastors or shallow theology or bad music. In Luke 18, 
Jesus describes two men who come to the temple to pray. One, a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee thanks God that he's not like other men, adulterers and evildoers, and yes, that tax collector over there. He then adds that he's grateful his spiritual and financial life are both in order. The tax collector stands far off, though. He beats his chest, and he just says, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus tells his audience that it's the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who walks away justified. It's worth asking, did the good news preached at Mars Hill sound more like the prayer of the Pharisee or the tax collector? Was it more a celebration of God's mercy? Or was it a temple to a certain way of life that wasn't just about living in contrast to the surrounding city, but conquering it? And if it did sound more like the Pharisee, what does that say about the power of that message, the distance it was able to reach, and the power it had in the lives of its people? What does it say about our religious ambitions, our desire to be right, our desire to be on that winning team? Robert Capon once wrote, "We." So, maybe it's in the next clip, or maybe it was this clip. But obviously, this is getting at the 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 fundamental issue. One of the what they see as the kind of fundamental issue of what's going on in Driscoll's preaching. What do you think about that clip? Yeah, I think that um, this, I think it's it's right to a point. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I do think that that absolutely um, a lot of what Driscoll preached was you got to shape up. And worse, you know, maybe we'll get to this. So maybe I'm uh, kind of stepping on what you've prepared to share as a clip. But one of the worst parts about it was that it was almost always Driscoll saying, hey, you need to change how you live. And here's the example of how to do that. Look at my life. Right. And um, that's a that's a really kind of scary way to preach. Uh, but it it was very clearly something that came across time and time again yep. from the pulpit. Um, now, again, whenever we do this where it's like, man, look at Driscoll and what he did by like lifting himself up as the example for everybody else. This is almost every single evangelical sermon every Sunday. I mean, how, to it have, is. That's, how to be happier through by doing these things, to have a better marriage or, yeah, or here, whatever. Here's how to have a better marriage. Here's how to do these things. It's, it is. So number one, it is based on, hey, here's just this like self-help improvement kind of a thing. And that is a lot of what Driscoll did. I mean, a lot of what he did was, hey, step up, be a man. Like, you know, here's, here's how you do that. Um, but it's also then, and here's all these stories from my life to show you how you can better do that. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty normal too. That's everywhere. I mean, almost every, you know, I'm sure I've ranted about it on this podcast before, but only almost every sermon you hear is let me tell you all these stories from my life, which inevitably is going to turn into, well, he's the guy, he's right. the guy I got to be like, he's the guy I got to become like, he's the guy I got to follow and, and try to, you know, make my marriage like his marriage. And obviously pastors should be above reproach and they should be an example in a certain regard. But you are not the example, right? Like you're not calling people to follow you. And I do think that that is something that Driscoll very clearly did. Right, right. I think that, yeah. Uh, and and maybe we'll come to it. If, if, if I don't have the clip of him 
saying to be like him. That's my bad. But I do think this is all totally true. I think that it's like, yeah, dude, this is kind of what you hear in mega churches. Unfortunately, yeah, it's everywhere. Um, and I think that, yeah, that there, that it is, a, that there is a problem. There's, there is so much in that clip we could ask, but I do want to keep moving because I think these next three clips are things Driscoll was preaching that they were troubled by. And so we're going to find out how many of them we are troubled by along the way, because we want to, we want to go back to the Driscoll clips uh, again. So this is where they begin saying things like one of the things he preached about was relationships between men and women. And so uh, here is the, here's the example. One of the examples they choose to cover that. Nachos. Men feel like their life is desert and they want to come home to a wife, a home, children that is a place of rest, refreshment, rejuvenation. Here, she says, he's laying on the couch and eating. It's biblical. Let him do it. <laughs> right? Might I suggest nachos and wings? You might say, well, that's just a joke. Don't take Mark so seriously. But then moments later, he continues the point. See, if your husband loves you and he's working hard all day and he's out there slugging it out to feed the family and the whole day has been a desert, no encouragement, no support, no replenishment, he comes home, you want to greet him at the door and be in getting. I love you. Welcome home, sweetheart. And he gets back to nachos again. One guy said it to me recently. I said, how's your marriage going? He said, great. I said, really? What happened? He said, I came home from work the other day. My wife greeted me. And uh, sitting next to my recliner chair was a plate of nachos and a drink. She said, welcome home. I know you've had a rough day. He said, I love that woman. <laughs> Who wouldn't? So um, this gets at one of the part of what Mike Cosper is getting at with this clip, other than how much he hates nachos, apparently. Evidently, he does not like nachos, <laughs> <laughs> which is insane, um, is that so much of Driscoll's teaching on women and marriage, by the way, I remember here, I'll, I'll give you my, the reaction I had to this clip um, 10 years ago and my reaction today, because they're very different, um, is that it was very hard to tell when Driscoll was not joking and when he was joking. And mm-hmm. so that these things were all kind of tied together. And, um, and so maybe some of it was a character, but it really did define the church, right? That kind of stuff. Yep. Which is undoubtedly true. Yep, that's undoubtedly true. Yeah. So my reaction when I first heard this clip, this is from the Peasant Princess series, which is why he is allegorizing in a way that has never been done before, that your wife that you now have is Engedi, uh, this wilderness retreat (laughs) um, (laughs) with wings and nachos. And now, just to be clear, that like this is kind of right up my alley. Like Before we were recording today, I was telling... Pastor Michael, how I was figuring out how to smoke buffalo uh, chicken myself, right? This is this is right up my alley. And when I heard this, of course, I thought this sounded like the ideal marriage. When I, was, <laughs> when I was 19, I was like, really? This is this is a possibility. <laughs> this um, because I think I think Driscoll in his in his examples and analogies, they sound not new, not Scottsdale Driscoll. But rough and tumble Driscoll, they sound actually pretty honest. Yep. And I thought this sounded like an idyllic marriage of these people together, right? Like, but what I've realized is that 
and I'm sure this is more common than just this clip with Driscoll and with all kinds of people, this has painted the ideal marriage in the most base and fleshly like, yeah, like desires in the world. Right. Like the idea that's like, what's best about my marriage could be this instead of like the formation of there are children, like all of these like incredibly difficult and not like the gratification in 10 seconds yep. of putting cheese on tortilla chips. Like hmm. I've realized is, is such an actual short change of, of what is probably needed um, that, that this is, yeah, it, it, it is, it's um, it is a parody. And if it was a joke, obviously, like I just said, I took it as the ideal. Yep. That's really uh, interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. One of the things I'm thinking is just the nature of Driscoll and how he often spoke. One of the ways that this could easily be taken um, in a really damaging direction. And by the way, like, you know, for sure, this isn't what Song Solomon's talking about. Um, like, that's, you know, we should uh, we should put that out there. But um, one of the ways that this could be damaging is that it seems like Driscoll was constantly talking about, hey, what you should be doing for your man. Right. Like that was all the time. And far less did he talk about, hey, husbands, this is what you should be doing for your wife. Oh, I mean, he talked about it some, but it was almost never um, the same. Right. And it was definitely not emphasized the same, you know, uh, and maybe I'm misremembering, but I, you know, I don't think that he probably put as much emphasis on those things. Yeah. Now, here's my, you know, like maybe somewhat hot take. Is oh, I love it. That like this is actually not bad advice. Right. You know, it, it doesn't mean that it was right in the sermon. Doesn't mean that it was right to like say, hey, this is what the word of God is commanding you to do, ladies. Like that's that's not true. But right. it's like a general piece of advice. Hey, like your husband, if he's working hard to provide for you and your family, he's taking care of you so that you can stay home with the kids. Like that really is an like a, an extremely difficult task that is really hard. It is something that is seen as just like just a given today. Right. Like, well, if a man does that, obviously he just should. And that's fine. Like it, he should. You're right. Like that is a thing. Uh, but also like it's good if that comes with a wife who's like, yeah, I want to be supportive. And so when he comes home and I know it's been a hard day, I'm going to like take extra good care of him because I love him. That's awesome. And guess what? Like that actually will make your husband happy. <laughs> it will. <laughs> and I know I love that you said it's like the base things. But let's just be honest. Like those those little things, those are the things that add up to where you're just like, sure. Man, I do have the best wife, right? Like I do, you know, like, wow, she is amazing. And it's not to say you don't appreciate all those other things. It doesn't mean you don't appreciate, wow, she's such a good mom and she's so good when we're in conflict, not to like, you know, blow things out of proportion. And man, she's like, it's not that you don't think about those deeper and more important things, um, but just on a base level of like, hey, do you want to do something to encourage your husband? Hey, tell him you love him when he comes in from work say, you know, I've got things. Why don't you go rest a little bit? That's great. And if you can't do that because the kids have been crazy and you need his help, that's also okay. Right? Like a, a guy shouldn't come home every day saying, where are my nachos? <laughs> you know, like that's, that's not what I'm saying. Right. Uh, but I just think it's so funny that like you take this as like, oh my goodness. Like <laughs> just the, you know, the sheer, yeah. like, I don't know, care and energy from Mike Cosper of, Oh, like, how could you ever tell Not women shows. that they should encourage their husbands with food and kind words? <laughs> like, what a horrible, horrible thing to do. Um, 
Yeah, that's also silly, right? Like to oh. say, yeah, if this is everything in a marriage and that's the most important thing, yeah, that's silly. That's ridiculous. It's not good. It's also silly to say this is like a big problem too. Right. Well, what's what's again, what you find as this episode goes on, and I just wanted to use that clip of it because it was the most fun one. Oh, by far. <laughs> what they start doing, <laughs> what they start doing is saying Driscoll one places. Complementarians would never go, you know, terrible music. Driscoll said things about male headship that complementarians would never say because they are in the process, everybody, just so you know, just in case you haven't noticed of saying complementarianism isn't what you thought it was 10 years ago. Um, and they are going to say, no, that was like what Driscoll is like. And us saying egalitarianism is basically now complementarianism is, is kind of what we're doing now, I think, with a lot of these this move. So we're going to play another clip. This is a clip that they use to show how crazy a view of leadership and covenant that Driscoll had. So Pastor Michael, yay, nay, or nuance, this is how covenants work. Here we go. There was a deeper issue, I believe, and it had implications beyond marriage, too. Here's Driscoll in a sermon titled Covenant and Headship. What I'm going to ask you to do today is to assume that you've been lied to and at least give me the benefit of the doubt. Multiple lies have been told you. One of the greatest lies is that the foundation of all relationships with us and one another and with us and God is love. The foundation of all relationships is not love. That's a lie. That's a lie. The foundation of all relationships is covenant. And love comes out of a covenant. You could spend a long time breaking down what Driscoll is saying here. And there are probably a stack of PhD theses a mile high on the relationship so between God's love and his covenants. Draw a conclusion. If it if it would take stacks of PhDs to understand what he just said, we're gonna conclude what he means in about in the next question. So Pastor Michael, yay, nay or nuance on the how relationships are actually structured. That is a nay. Uh, Boom. That, oh, sorry, Driscoll. Yeah. You didn't learn covenant theology along the way. We're right. We, seriously. Um, and what he's even talking about is, uh, I mean, I, I don't, don't hear the whole clip. So maybe, maybe there's more to it, but uh, yikes. Um, it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad. Cause here's, here is what covenant theology says. Covenant is how God structures his relationship of love. Yep. And so the idea, right the what i'm guessing driscoll's gonna get at is like so these relationships aren't about what you feel or what you want to express they are defined by covenant but the reason these covenants exist the reason these covenants take the shape they do is because of god's love yep. they are the ex they are the structured expression of god's love and marriage is the structured expression of love between a man and a woman yeah, right. And that like what I love that you just like uh laid it out. There you go. Yeah, I, I mean I, I know it, don't need I know. a bunch of books. If you would like to award me an honorary PhD any learning <laughs> institute uh for that that concise explanation, um, I'm here for you. Oh, seriously. Um I one of the things I could I couldn't help but think about was I just preached on Sunday uh, for when we're recording this. I just preached a first sermon in a series. Matt and I are preaching together on the book of Malachi. And 
uh, it starts with God just declaring, you know, I have loved you. And the whole book is like dealing with this reconciliation of the relationship between God and Israel. But it just starts with God just saying, I love you, mm. you know, and and that's where it begins. So um, I just yeah, anyway, couldn't help but think about that. So we are going to the next two clips we're going to listen to. One is Driscoll. And one is Christianity Today explaining why they're troubled by young men having been attracted to Driscoll. And I'll say if maybe we kind of agreed with them of the problems in the first one, I have a feeling we might diverge in our, our understanding of what's going on a bit here. So this is a question of who is the Jesus Mark Driscoll wanted to preach in his good news? harnessed a lot of that anger and that kind of aggression that he was encouraging. Experiences and observations like this should invite us to circle back and ask again, what was the good news here? What role did anger play in shaping that message or contorting it? How did it shape the way people at the church saw Jesus? And on that last question, we don't have to wonder about which Jesus Driscoll got excited to preach about. He gets a snapshot. The curtain is pulled back. And behold, a white horse. I love this. How many of you grew up watching westerns? The good guy always rides the white horse. It's biblical. <laughs> the one sitting on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. You know, Jesus will never take a beating again. That was a one-shot deal for salvation that is not an ongoing job for Jesus to take a beating. His eyes are like a flame of fire. I just love this. This is ultimate fighter Christ. A hip-hop buddy of mine calls it Thug Jesus. This was a picture of Jesus that he often talked about in sermons, lectures, books, and interviews. So uh, Mike Cosper is going to go on to make an insane analogy to the Ricky Bobby movie. And when the scene where the, I'll just say the analogies in this episode, I don't want to, I don't want to hate on a guy's writing, but we do analogies of like the HBO Watchmen series once said, yep. like all kinds of like, what are we doing? And this yeah. one, they're going to compare it to the Ricky Bobby insane scene where they're all talking about the ways they want to picture Jesus. So pastor Michael, yay, nay, or nuance, we should be excited about the Jesus presented in the book of revelation um yeah of course oh, weird. <laughs> like, <what>? so weird. <laughs> it's just so, so uh troubling. but of course of course it's... you get this because if you remember and if you've listened to our walkthrough of the book jesus and john wayne <laughs> you know that you know uh what is, is it Kristen dumez is that it her is. name uh, Dr. Dumez, uh, that she takes, you know, uh, great pains in her book to talk about how all these pictures of a masculine Jesus who fights and does all these things. Well, that's not that didn't exist, evidently, before the Cold War. <laughs> she, she doesn't quite <laughs> so say that funny. if you're going to try to fact check us. But oh, you can go so to the episode, see what we think about this. But that's they are. I mean, they've interviewed her. They like they clearly are kind of playing off of her ideas in some sense here that like, oh yeah, those, those parts of Jesus in the Bible as a conquering King who right now is seated at the right hand of the father and is putting every one of his enemies under his feet. Well, those parts, that those parts don't, those don't really tell us about the real Jesus, right? The real Jesus who's gentle and lowly. Oh yeah. Um, but Cha like this whole, yeah. But notice what you're doing though. You're doing the, Hey, this is the Jesus we like, right? That's what you're, you're doing the oh, Ricky Bobby much. thing so much. <laughs> 
it's 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 the most it's almost the most insane kind of projection possible because this Jesus was fueled by his anger and aggression. No, this Jesus was fueled by a vision John the like John the <laughs> apostle had. Right. I I literally was like, no, no, this is like yes, we this we do celebrate. And what's sad is that this is like said like and this was so hurtful to the to the abuse victims and people suffering no this is the like jesus is on your team like this is the like this this jesus this vision was sent to persecuted christian suffering to say this is who is on your team this is who's who is beside you this is who's coming back for you and we're like i don't know if those people can handle hearing this and i'm like (laughs) it was for them Yeah. yeah i this is why by the way this is why he used the bad analogy and it wasn't that bad of an analogy, I guess now uh, of the, the scene from Ricky Bobby, because yeah. God is the true author of all things. And like, you can't escape the the beautiful irony that he's written into this, that you're doing the Ricky Bobby thing and you're using it as an example of what Driscoll's doing. <laughs> like that's yeah. just God showing you up. You know what I mean? It, it, yeah, it was, it was truly, truly mind-blowing and i will say cosper even says and now driscoll even said in this sermon and other places it's because the one where where you could see this go wrong is so literally conquer in my name right go out and literally make like go literally make war and driscoll says this is an exclusive role that christ the king of kings has and not the church on earth today so the one distinction you'd be like oh man i kind of hope you make yeah, he did. Evidently he did. He did. And so I, I'm not here to defend Driscoll. I'm here to defend Jesus as he's revealed in the apocalypse, right? Like <laughs> that's what blew my mind as I, as I heard this clip as an example of how anger and aggression influenced who Jesus was. And so this led to a clip fairly soon after about what troubles Christianity today about young men and their attraction to Driscoll. So Um, we're going to listen to this and, um, we'll see if I'm any, if I'm feeling any happier by the end. A lot of Driscoll's national platform and recognition came specifically because of his ability to connect with young men. On the local level, you find older men and women who joined the church because they'd watched their son's faith take root there for the first time. On a national level, he seemed to have his finger on the pulse of something that pastors in a variety of other churches and movements wanted to tap into. But there's an irony at the core of this success. He'd often talk about how he wanted to call these men to mission and purpose in a way that was sort of the virtuous mirror image to that of cults, mobs, and terrorist groups. And while there are lots of men whose lives and families were shaped for the better by the call to responsibility and leadership they heard at Mars Hill, the truth is, the closer you got to the core of leadership at the church. So so here's why I wanted this clip. So they, they point out that Driscoll is thrust to the spotlight because young men are attracted to him. Fact check. True. I was attracted to him for this yep. reason. And young men were attracted to Driscoll for the same reason, but a good, a better reason. That they are attracted to cults, mobs, and terrorist groups. Terrorist groups. Wow. 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 Wanting to channel men's energy towards something is now like the equivalent of terrorism. Yeah, seriously. Well, and this is, man, 
oh, there's so much we could do with this. There's of so course. much we could say it's, about this. Uh, but this is like this is in essence so much of the like, you know, feminist, you know, middle aged woman culture that drives Christianity today. <laughs> And so much of evangelicalism uh, uh, where just any kind of like true deep like brotherhood amongst men is seen as like this is nope, this is obviously unhealthy. It has to be right. Like it's just like terrorists uh, <laughs> like that's not like, yeah, you're right that Driscoll tapped into that. And then it was misused. Right. Like, right. yes, it was. It was it was not good to have that. Like, yeah, we're just going to do fight club, but a church. Right. Um, that's not what we want. Right. However, like to, you know, like you're not even asking the right question of like, why is, why was that so appealing to young yes. men? Yes. And not yeah. just young men who didn't have fathers. Right. I can imagine ways that like, if you didn't have a father figure, um, then you would see this and, and just take 100% of it and just go like way too far with it. But what about you and me who had great right. dads? And we right. still loved this, right? What is it? Right. What is it culturally that caused even like people in really healthy family situations to be like, "Whoa, like this is something we were missing," right? This this call uh, to be men, there was something right. missing there within the church. And so, what's going on with that? And they don't even ask that question, right? It <laughs> just no. automatically demonize it. No, no, I think they they miss the chance to say that what this said is that there is a place for men in the church. Now, if we want to say, where did things go wrong? Maybe it was, they made it about that, right? Young men, you yep. are wanted in the church and there's a place for you and you are needed, but it still isn't about you. Yeah. Right. It's, it's right. This is the household a... of God. There's also sisters. There's not just brothers. There's also sisters and there's fathers right. and there's mothers, you know, like there's a lot more going right. on here than just you. And, and I think again, so that, that this comes in this clip where they're trying to talk about what went wrong with the masculinity Driscoll presented? And I actually think one of the guys they interviewed, and we're not going to play play him, but I think he nails what Driscoll got wrong. So he's like, Driscoll is always honest about take responsibility, be a man, be a leader. And he said, and when it came time for Driscoll to do all that, he skipped town. It was yep. all fake yes. the whole time. And I'm like, that. That is what was worth wrong with what Driscoll was saying about. Yeah, all he of hit this. it right. That guy hit it. I love that line. I loved it what was he said. That. That, was, that was exactly right. Yes. And so what the problem was that it was a brand, that it was fake, that it wasn't actual and he didn't actually possess it and 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 therefore only could speak in these kind of bumper slogan versions of it. And had to act up, had to act it up everywhere he went. And so the final, the final three clips are where Mike Cosper, I really believe he drives, he really drives at the audience of who this podcast is. And we've said it's the deconstructing Christian, the progressive Christian. And so I want to play just a little bit about what they have to say to those people um, here as, as we end make comments about like he would say things like i understand the history of what has happened in this building if you are around so they're about to describe a church that now meets in one of the one of the buildings where one of the mars hill campuses met and you had been through the hurt you knew he was talking to you right but he wasn't doing it in a flashy way but it was the same thing in the music matt the worship leader he would play some songs from mars hill's bands and like 
most of the congregation doesn't know where those songs come from. But Matt knows, and those of us who were there, we know. I went up to Matt afterwards and I was like, I know that song. I know the band where it came from. This is my story. I just wanted to say thank you. In many ways, Quest couldn't be more different than Mars Hill. It's a multi-ethnic church with egalitarian leadership and much more progressive theology. And the Zugs are far from alone in being former Mars Hill leaders who made a journey into more progressive churches. For some, that comes with a measure of reactivity against the hardline Calvinism and dogmatism of Mars Hill. That church's collapse showed that behind those hard doctrinal edges was corrupt character. But it's a mistake to chalk all of these migrations to reactivity alone. For Jen and Brian, the Mars Hill story is about a church that started off intent on embodying the presence of Christ in ways that were new and authentic and resonant with who they were. And then, the church and its leaders lost its way. They found a new iteration of that at Quest, in the old Ballard building of all places. And the irony isn't lost on them. There's so this is describing, actually, they meet in the Ballard building where Driscoll preached of this church Quest that is much more progressive. Pastor Michael, what do you think about these churches that spun off and these people winding up in these more progressive places? Um, it doesn't shock me, right? I mean, that, you know, it uh, it makes sense definitely on some level. And this is one of those things that, you know, a podcast can't, you know, dive into all the different nuances and all the different stories and everything going on. Right. But even here, you know, I mean, this is, I think it makes sense in part because um, what did they say that, you know, Marcel was really trying to embody early on? Hey, we're trying to do something new and different mm. and authentic, right? And something that like, I don't remember all the like, you know, cheesy, very typical uh, lines that they used. Um, but yeah, that is what the church was looking for. And when you follow that, um, eventually that's like, it leads you away from biblical truth, mm. right? Like it, that's where it does lead you away from it. it. It leads you into accepting much more of, uh, you know, a, a modern cultural view on things than what the scripture actually teaches. Um, that that's where it's going to inevitably take you. And like, it wasn't, you know, it's, it's in some sense amazing that things didn't end up this way for more people, right? Mm. Like that's, that's of course the direction that you're going to head. If your focus is on, yeah, we're trying to do something that's like more culturally relevant. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, and that, and that you've now rejected whatever his model of cultural relevance is and yep. the most, um, yeah, let's actually listen to this this clip and this is uh just a compilation of some interviews of previous members kind of saying where they've ended up the bible literally and not end up where we were sorry let me make sure i get that sentence right the guy says i don't think you could take the bible literally and not end up where we were sorry let's just react to that clip before we play the rest uh, by the way what <laughs> I, I don't think you could take the bible literally and not end up in a multi-site mega church with a charismatic celebrity leader who's getting paid $650,000 a year with professional music and film teams and like and, uh, oh, really? and an ecclesiastical structure that yeah. allows you to have you and a couple of yes men and literally <laughs> literally a CEO and yep, like yep, a <laughs> yep with business deals and like 
Really? You don't, I don't think we're reading the same Bible. I don't, you know, maybe it's me. I don't think we're reading the same Bible. We were taking it so literally. So literally. (laughs) Others are still working things out. You can't take someone's foundation outside of them or or use it against them and expect there to be no consequence. There, There just is, and there's fallout. And here we are seven years after having left Mars Hill and, you know, I'm still trying to navigate my faith and, determine you know what do i really believe would i even call myself a christian probably not but i still feel that i'm like i know that there's just something in me that believes in a creator the fact that that has been tampered with is really upsetting there's a grief over the fall of mars hill that leads some to ask whether or not the church is simply missing the point if you gave people a transcendent experience that helped them remind them that there's a God in the universe that loves them and is actively present in their lives and for them. And then you say, Hey, can you help us put chairs away? People will go, okay. If you give them 90 minutes of cotton candy bullshit, and then say, not only do I need you to put the chairs away, I also need you to be here Wednesday night to make sure the bowling alley has enough bowling oil, you know, so that we can use it. And then I need somebody to do set up teardown for the ice skating rink out in the f-ing parking lot or whatever. You go, great. Is that the purpose of this building? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. What is the main thing? We've so dumbed down everything that it's just, it's like, thank you for even giving us a chance to come here on Sunday and watch our circus. You know, it feels desperate instead of feeling like, you know, is this a hospital for broken people? Well, yeah, of course, there's water here. Part of what drew me to this project was my own history. So we have a story. We have a few just kind of the disconnected stories of how people are reacting to this after the fact. What do you think about all these these feelings and thoughts that are being expressed by people? This kind of goes to what we've talked about. Uh, maybe it was in the last episode. I don't know if it was in this episode yet, but uh, just, man, the the fact that people are different um, to try to give this like big box packaged experience to everybody. Um, you even see the fact that that can't work in what happens when everything melts down, right? Mm. There are people that are like, no, like they truly knew Christ. They're following him. They're not going to stop just because this thing fell apart in part because when they look back, they're like, well, obviously that fell apart. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then there's going to be people who like, they weren't there for Christ. They were there actually for themselves. And that's going to have si- significant problems. There are going to be people who thought they were there for Christ, but they were like the Christ that they were there for was not the same thing. Right. I mean, it, it's, it's something of their own making. There's going to be people who are literally actually confused uh, by it all because they, they, like they don't know where this puts them and and uh, what it means about, you know, the things that they learned that are actually good and true things that Driscoll right. or others did teach. Um, but now if that was tied to all this other, you know, garbage, well, what do I do with it then? Um, and that's hard that like this is the the damage that can be left anytime a church falls apart. Um, every church that falls apart, whether it be a giant mega church kind of a thing um, or just like any local church that has a pastor that, you know, um, just up and leaves or, you know, has been embezzling funds or is caught, you know, in an affair or whatever, um, you have to realize how that's going to affect people. And sometimes that's going to mean people are walking away from the church because of it. That does happen. And so, um, yeah, seeing the various ways that people respond, I think is, is maybe a good warning for those who are in ministry that this is, 
This is the nature of the church, the responsibility that you've been given. And our concern is that the solution that they seem to be proposing is back off and just say, God is just for you. That's God loves you and whatever you want to figure out and whatever you choose, that'll work for you. That's not true. (laughs) Right. So this, I think, brings us to the the last clip. This is the final lines of the show. I think this is a uh, a genius piece of audio that uh, I do think to be to use a term to bring us back to where we started needs to be deconstructed. This piece of audio is a genius piece of audio that Paul Tripp, we're with you, man. We're sad. It needs to be deconstructed. But, you know, the thought of that can seep in. You're like, well, maybe I'm, maybe it is. Maybe I'm not so sure. Like, what happens if I go outside of this? And it's just like now having been outside of it and be like life persists. And when we all get together without him and without, without not in that context, you still feel that energy, that good energy, you know, good happens. God is still present. And um, that's a cool thing to be reminded of. Wherever one may be on the spiritual landscape, I hope those words can strike a chord. Good still happens, and God is still present. It's an idea that's foundational for faith and for rebuilding faith, reminding us that life with God isn't mediated by charismatic individuals or broken institutions. It's an idea that Paul talked about in the book of Acts, telling a group of Athenians that all they enjoyed came from God, that he wasn't far off, and, in fact, they lived, moved, and had their being in him. He gave this speech at the Areopagus, a rock outcropping outside the city, famous for intellectual debates and named for Ares, the Greek god of war. It was sometimes referred to by that god's Roman name. In that case, they called it Mars Hill. Fade out to the nice piano music, Pastor Michael. And we're done, except for the, like, 18 bonus episodes. (laughs) So, the foundation of faith, of rebuilding faith, that we found just where we started at Mars Hill. Um. Okay, so let's actually read what Paul says at Mars Hill. Let's read what Paul just remind reminded those intellectual loving Greeks. Yeah, so Acts 17, um, just, you know, lovey-dovey Paul, uh, yep. who just really wants to make everybody feel welcome where they're at. And just He's to got- know that God loves you where you're at and that, like, wherever you're at, if you just stay there, God will still be with you because he's still good right there. He's Here's got some folksy actually- piano playing in the background <laughs> as he speaks. Here's what Paul actually says. Uh, he says, people of Athens. So, you know, he goes, he stands up in this meeting at the Areopagus. He, this is in Acts 17, verse 22. He says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. That temples that they had, by the way. <laughs> right. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. 
Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else from one man. He made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live, move, and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone. That means your your idols, right? He's saying right. He's, not, he's not like the idols that you're worshiping. An image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Okay, this is that's a that's a pretty strikingly different uh, statement and tone than what we just heard. God has good for us. Yeah, I mean, God has good. Yeah, and it comes <laughs> when you repent and you trust in the one who rose from the dead. But the the fact that the the emphasis of Paul is you are ignorant. And you need to listen to what I'm saying and repent because God is going to come and judge everyone in Jesus Christ. <laughs> like that, man. And, that's welcome, what it, and this is welcome to why this clip needed to be deconstructed and where we've basically been concerned by this whole thing. That where, where that you, Christianity Today and Mike Cosper, for this brief second, you held everyone's attention. Deconstructing Christians, everybody, turn to you. You're in the middle of the Areopagus. You're in the middle of Mars Hill. And the question is, well, what do you say? Well, God has, you know, God is good for all of us and each of us, wherever we are. Is that the question that we're begging is, is that what you should have said? Also, it's a question of, you know, obviously ask, it's not what Paul said. I, I know it's if not you think all. it's what Paul said. You're insane. Obviously, Paul was probably when it says he was brought there, he was probably under arrest and they were he was being brought there so that the philosophers could decide if he was actually like. Like blaspheming the gods because they couldn't tell based on what he was saying. Um, Because obviously they were fine with polytheism, but obviously it's not what Paul said. I mean, again, I know it was just presented like it was what Paul said. And so I shouldn't act like, oh, obviously it's not what Paul said because there are people. who, And it's often like held up as what Paul says. There's so many of you listening to this that you've heard sermon after sermon or people, you know, talk about, hey, well, the way that we deal with like the unbeliever and the way that we deal with those who are pluralistic and and uh, things like that, we got to deal with them how Paul did on Mars Hill, how Paul deals with them is preaching literally the gospel that he preaches elsewhere, right? He, he literally talks about the first man, Adam, and the last man, Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the dead, the same as he does in places like first Corinthians 15. So he's not, he's not doing things that differently, uh, but to stop where he's just beginning. Hey, God, you're right that there is like this God that you don't know. Let me explain to you who he is. He's good. He gives good things to everyone. He like, he's the one that like gives life to all. And that's not enough (laughs) like that. Now, like that's, that's it. Like that's something that everybody should know. 
but the time of ignorance has passed, and now there's a judgment coming if you don't repent and trust in Jesus Christ. That's what he preaches. Uh, but the question really is, you know, we ask, hey, was Mark Driscoll really preaching the gospel? My question is, is Christianity today really preaching the gospel? Is that what they're doing? Because it's not what they did. It's not what they did when they had the chance to do it. Everybody, this has been the Restless Podcast review of the rise and fall of Mars Hill. It's not it's, over. We plan to do a little bit more with react to reactions to so, the podcast. So from now, it's about three weeks away. We are going to record our react people's reactions to the podcast so please send us your reactions and thoughts about the podcast and let's sweeten the deal uh our favorite reaction to this podcast that somebody sends us our favorite reaction is going to get some kind of restless swag i've been saving oh. up a stockpile of restless swag and you are going to get wow. a stockpile more than one item of restless swag let's wow. do it that way so I hope you listened to the very last moment of this episode and you didn't skip over the part where people ask you to rate, review this podcast and subscribe <laughs> wherever you do. 